Good morning. Uh, it's a uh, privilege, and I'm very excited to introduce our speaker for this morning, Mrs. Katie Polsky. Um, Katie is the music director and special events coordinator at Trinity Church Kirkwood in Missouri. She is a writer for the Gospel Coalition. She's currently working on two books. She's a frequent conference speaker. She's on her way to Egypt tomorrow. Um, she has served as uh, an advisor to the Board of Trustees at Covenant College. And perhaps above all those things, she is the mom to soon-to-be graduate Ella Polsky, our very own. Um, please give a warm Scots welcome to Mrs. Katie Polsky. Good morning, Covenant. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so beautifully. Uh, not only is it good to be with you, but it is uh, a privilege to open up the passage that I'm going to read from this morning from Matthew 7. I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. It is perfect, and these words will never pass away. This is Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. I graduated from Covenant uh, many years ago. I had an incredible four years here, but I struggled before I came to figure out what to study. Everyone asked like they do during my senior year in high school, what are you gonna major in? I had no clue. There were many choices, and as a senior in high school, the, the high school there just wasn't one area that I was particularly interested in. So. Um, I was a little nervous about trying to figure out what to study. I'm bad with making decisions, especially when there are multiple choices available, so it shouldn't have surprised me that choosing a major was hard because I can hardly choose what to eat when we go out to dinner. I usually narrow down the menu to like my top five choices, but within those five, how do you even choose? Because the burger looks good, and then there's the fish dish, which sounds amazing, but then the steak, it looks great. I go round and round until finally I decide what I'm go going to eat. I declare it with confidence to the waiter, and then disaster strikes because they inevitably say, and what would you like for your side? 
My poor husband has to live through this every time we go out to eat. It's just a simple analogy. But choices can be serious things. I know you know that. And right now, my guess is that most of you are faced with some kind of weighty choice. Will you stay in your current relationship? What will your career be? Are you going to live where? (laughs) And I'd argue most importantly, what will you believe? Our passage today, in it, Jesus offers multiple choices. There are two sets of them. One set of choices is between two different kinds of confessions, and the other set of choices is between two different kinds of foundations on which to build your life. You need to be clear, friends, about your decisions regarding these choices because they are foundational in your relationship with Jesus. So let's look first uh, at just the first set of choices, and these are the confessions in verses 21 through 23. Will we make a sincere confession and thus, as the passage says, bear good fruit and do the Father's will, or will our confession be insincere, one that is mere words with no actions to back it up? Let's briefly unpack this first choice presented. So the false profession of faith includes those who did many, many great things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus warns his disciples about these false prophets who appear to be Christ followers, but as verse 15 says, are ravenous wolves inwardly. These wolves in sheep's clothing know the name of the Lord. They prophesy or teach in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They do many mighty works in his name. But they are not repentant. They have not admitted their need for Jesus apart from their works. And Jesus compares them to an unhealthy tree that is simply unable to produce good fruit because what's inside their heart has not truly been changed by the gospel. Is it possible, though, for someone to prophesy in the name of Jesus, to do miracles in his name, but not really know him as their Lord and Savior? Well, think about Judas. Commentators point out he was a disciple of Christ, a follower, a miracle performer, a prophesier. It is possible, yes. And look at what the Lord says to the wolves when they realize they will not enter the kingdom of God. They say, but Lord, look at what we did. God says, no, I never knew you. In essence, he's saying, we we never knew each other. We never had an intimate relationship. You used my name for personal gain. You cut and pasted from my words to fit your agenda. You twisted my truth. You and I, we never knew each other. If you want to discern who might be a sheep in wolves' clothing, look carefully at how they treat the word of God. The mighty deeds of the wolves may look amazing and their their words are often very eloquent, but we're not saved, are we, by our works or by our words. And those who rely on their mighty deeds to secure their eternal destiny will be met with the weighty words found in verse 23, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But there is another way. 
There's another choice here presented for us, and that is a sincere confession that is demonstrated in a life marked by one doing the Father's will. It is not a life uh, that is perfect. It is a life marked by one who bears good fruit, who desires to follow, follow in the ways of Jesus. Back in Matthew 3, the disciple calls the act of bearing good fruit repentance. And repentance is, in essence, a changed heart that leads to a changed life. Child of God, what separates you from those whom the Lord calls the workers of lawlessness is the grace of God, and that grace has changed you. You see, those who choose the first road in insincere confession don't see the need for a repentant and changed heart. They're fine doing what they do because ultimately they're okay setting their own standard. But those who choose a sincere profession repent of their sin knowing they cannot even be without Jesus. And those who enter the kingdom of heaven know they cannot save themselves. We can't change our own bad habits, much less save our souls. We're saved by the grace of God, and in our sin, we continually come back to our Savior who showers us with his grace and who gives us exactly what we need to start again. The question for us as we look at this first set of choices is whether our faith is a performance or whether it is based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's easy, friends, to rely on intellectualism in our faith, to rely on everything that we know or have learned about Christianity, but intellectualism is insufficient. It's also easy to rely on our emotions, how we feel about God on a particular day, but emotionalism is insufficient. I had a friend who went to covenant with me and during our college days, he said all the right things about God. He even led chapel with me right here. But he did not fully put his trust in Jesus alone for his salvation. So when he was confronted with something in the Bible that did not match his personal conviction and feelings, he denied his faith and to this day claims atheism. A personal relationship with Jesus may include doubting. We see that all, all over the Psalms. And the Bible makes clear it will include sin. But it also includes a repentant heart and a desire to follow Jesus no matter what. Even when what we think is right for ourselves doesn't match up with what we see in God's word. Follow Jesus. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus will help you as you choose him. He will help you when you doubt, and by his grace and mercy, he will pick you back up when you fall. See, we need Jesus to do what he's called us to do in bearing good fruit. We need Jesus to help us to repent of our sin and to follow in his ways. So that's the first set of choices, the confessions. The second set of choices is found in verses 24 through 27, and it has to do with the foundation on which we are going to live our life. Because even if you make a sincere confession, you have to choose. Will Jesus be your foundation, 
Or will your life be built on the unstable foundation that is anything beside Jesus? Let's briefly dig into the second choice. What we see are two very different results between the one whose home is on the sand and the one whose house is built on the rock. But there's also a big distinction in the actions of the one making the decision. First, the results of the two builders. Just a little historical context. Quickly changing weather is very common in Israel, and at times it drastically changes the landscape. And Jesus often refers to a sudden downpour that causes either violent streams or turns a barren land into lush green land. So because this happens often, builders in Jesus' day would build away from the water courses, even though common sense would tell them to build near the water because drought was also a possibility. But the wise builder put his house on the rock because when the uh, floods came, when the rains came, the house would continue to stand. Those who build in the sand are the ones closer to the water, and that's fine, that's even great, actually, if there's no major storm. If there is, the house is going to come crashing down. Those are the results. Now look at the distinctions and the actions of the one making the choice. The one who builds his house on the rock hears these words from the Lord and does them. One of my seminary professors, Dan Doriani, points out that in the original language, verse 24 reads more like this. Everyone, therefore, who hears me these words and does them. In other words, when we listen to the word of God, we're listening to Jesus himself. Doriani continues and he says, Jesus' word perfectly expresses his character, his mind, his will. He never deceives. He never changes his mind. He never misspeaks. He never has to say, do as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. I, on the other hand, have to say this all the time. I remember when teaching one of my three children to drive. It was one of the three. I'll leave it at that. But when I was teaching this child, she momentarily took control of the steering wheel with her knee. So I yelled out, what are you doing? She said, I'm doing what you do, Mom. Right, no, we don't drive with her knee. Don't do what I do. See, none of us can follow the words of God perfectly, which is why we lean into the perfect grace of the one who helps us in our sin. To build a life on Jesus does not mean doing it all right. It doesn't mean getting it all right. It means instead humbly centering your life on Jesus, so much so that you're daily coming to the foot of the cross crying out, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, oh, for grace to trust you more. See, Jesus is what he says he is. He does what he says he will do. And because of that, making Jesus your foundation will mean humbly obeying his words. The other option is to be foolish and build your life on the sand and look at the actions of this person. They hear the words of the Lord, but they do not do them. So when Jesus says in the Bible, for example, 
trust in me, the one who builds his house on the sand decides instead to trust in themselves or to trust in another person when hardship comes. It's one thing to hear the words of God and leave it at that. that. It's entirely different to obey them, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it seems to us, in our finite wisdom, that to be just a little closer to the sand would make a lot more sense, God. The water's right there. What's the water in your life? that is drawing you away from Jesus as your firm foundation? What has slowly become more important to you than your relationship with Jesus? Because it seems that finding that one thing will ultimately give you security. Is it landing that dream job? Is it finding a spouse? Is it becoming successful and making a name for yourself? I ended up deciding that I was going to be a music major when I came to Covenant. My hope was uh, to one day work in the music ministry at a church. I also had big plans of walking onto the Covenant Scouts basketball team. I played varsity all four years in high school and thought maybe I could walk on. So my path was set, and it was great, according to me. But a knee injury just weeks into my freshman year, shattered both those dreams. I was told I would no longer be able to play contact sports, and I had to fly home two different times for major knee surgeries. When I came back after the second surgery, I was in a massive brace and on crutches, and on top of that, there had been an ice storm on the mountain, much like what I think you just had. Okay, so navigating an ice storm on the mountain on crutches, going from class to class, was not fun. And on top of that, I lived in Fourth North and Carter. Any? When I got back, the elevator was broken in Carter. So because of that, I had to use the service elevator. Is it still there, even, the service elevator? No, it's not? Okay, it it existed, guys. Um, Because the elevator would break all the time. So in order to use the service elevator, I had to call each floor in Carter to find out which floor the elevator was on. And then when I found out what floor it was on, I had to call the room across from the service elevator, cross my fingers that they were in their room, and that person had to literally, I'm not joking, pull the elevator up to me. It was so ridiculous. And I was so frustrated. I was mad at God for thwarting my plans, so I just stopped going my music classes. And I lost my place in the music program, understandably, understandably. And I swore I would never touch a piano again. I remember where I was standing when I said it. Somehow I managed to come back my sophomore year and I needed to declare a major. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I wasn't good at math or science, and so I just decided to major in English. I figured I can read. (laughs) So so I became an English major, 
And that major landed me a job teaching writing just out of college, something I never, I never dreamed I would do. But that job opened up in me a passion for writing that I truly, I truly did not know existed. And to this day, writing is one of my greatest joys, and I have been given amazing opportunities through it. And in God's kindness, when we started a church plan about 20 years ago, <laughs> they needed a pianist. After many years away from the instrument, I was very reluctant, but I agreed. And about 10 years after serving in our church's music ministry, I was called as the music director of our church. I now lead worship week in and week out, and it brings me so much joy. See, my way, friends, made, made sense. It was a good plan. But as Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What in your finite wisdom seems to make more sense than trusting in Jesus and his plan for your life? The Lord knows, he knows there will be storms that crush our limited wisdom. And so he says, for your good and for my glory, trust in me. Build your life on me. Don't make anything else more important than Jesus. When our life is centered on Jesus, we are forever, hear that, we are forever secure. Whether the things that we desire in this life are fulfilled in the way we want them to be or not. Jesus will never let you down. And when the storms of life hit, your Savior will hold you secure. When you make the choice to trust in Jesus, to build your life on Jesus, you are putting your trust in the only one who will never change, the only one who is perfectly sovereign over all things, and the only one who will hold you firm in his love forever. Let's pray. God, you are a good God, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for guiding us, even when the way, way does not seem clear. We thank you, Lord, that you promise to hold us secure to the end. I pray for any here today who are weighing the options and deciding whether they will serve you with their life, Lord, show them who you are in powerful ways. Grant us, Lord, grant us all your grace and mercy. We praise you for this college, for these students, and for the work that you're doing in their midst. Be with us, Lord, as we go forward in this day. Help us to trust you in the details of it. In Jesus' name, amen.